This is our second week back in Ephesians, and we reviewed, and it's always good to, to review whenever coming back into a book, and probably every week, just to get a little bit of a reminder where we at in Ephesians, where we're we going, and be reminded that that first half of Ephesians, we've kind of already walked through it, but Paul, he writes and he speaks of all these new things that we have in Christ, and it begins with a new identity in him and all these promises that we have in Christ, and we're, we're reminded of the the new hope that's in Christ. We were once dead in sin, and we're made alive in Him. And Paul explains all of those things, and he prays even just an understanding of all those things. And then he talks about the new community that there is, that there are Gentiles that are brought in. There are non-Jews that are brought into the community of God, but they're all one. Um, they're all one people, and we will read a little bit more about that today as we walk through a passage, and we see there's new community in Christ, and we'll talk about that some. And then last week, right in the middle of, of kind of a breaking point in Ephesians, Paul prays, and he prayed for them, praying that they would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And it makes a lot of sense for this deep prayers. We go to a section where the last half is, well, how, now that we are new in Christ, we're this new community. How do we practically live these things out? What does it mean? How does it impact us? One commentator said, oh, it's John Stott. He said this about kind of these two parts in Ephesians. He said, it goes, Paul goes from mind-stretching theology to its down-to-earth concrete implications for everyday life. So that's kind of where we're switching from, these mind-stretching theologies down to these down-to-earth implications in our life. And as one of those implications that Paul speaks about is that we are to walk in the oneness of Jesus. And that's, that's where we get into in this passage. We're walking in oneness. And there's a unity here. And what a, a pertinent, important passage for us. I think it was uh, a few sermons back I, I quoted from an article, and I think I even put it in our Calvary Weekly from Randy Alcorn, and, um, a writer that many of you are probably familiar with, and he's been writing for many years and encouraging the church, and he wrote that article that I sent you guys uh, called A Pandemic of Disunity. And then the little subtitle was How We Drive the World Away. It's just a really good article, and he begins with a quote from Francis Schaeffer. I don't think I read this, so I'm not repeating myself too much. So he, he has this quote from Francis Schaeffer, and it was a book called The Mark of, of the Christian, and Francis Schaeffer, he pulls from John thirteen thirty five, where Jesus says, by, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then pulling from John seventeen twenty one, where Jesus, he's praying for the church, and he says, may May the disciples, may they be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So he takes these together, and he has a statement that, that he says. Francis Schaeffer said many years back, it was published in 1970, so a while ago, and it said, in, if an individual Christian does not show love toward other true Christians, the world has a right to judge that he or she is not a Christian. Let me read that again. It's kind of startling. If an individual Christian does not show love toward other true Christians, the world has a right to, to kind of look in and, and say, maybe they're not a true Christian. And, and Randy Elkhorn said when he read that, it was a beautiful biblical slap in the face for him. I think that's a good way of putting it. But then he kind of goes on. Oh, also, he says that that is for Francis Schaeffer. He says that Christian love and unity, it's that final apologetic. 
Um, it's our final apologetic of our faith when there's unity and love within brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's important. It's an ultimate defense of the faith. And then Randy Elkhorn says this, and this I think I, I read before. But he said, in the 52 years I've known Jesus, I've witnessed countless conflicts between believers, but never more than in the last year. Many have angrily left churches that they once loved believers who formerly chose churches based on Christian-centered, Christ-centered, Christ-centered Bible teaching and worship now choose them based on non-essential issues, including political views and COVID protocols. So, and he just kind of goes on from there. Just this unity is important. It's this final apologetic to the world that Christ is risen. Christ said these things. So we need to be serious and think of these things. If we're new in Christ, we're one community in Him, and we were once dead and alive, how does this impact the way we live our lives? So we'll walk through some of that today in these first six verses in chapter 4 in Ephesians, and that's on page 1080 in the White Bibles. So let's begin. Uh, verses 1 through 3, we say this call that walk in a manner worthy of our calling, really leading to unity within with one another. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So first, he begins, there's this command, and he, he urges, as I urge you, or maybe your translation says, implore you, I beg you, I entreat you. So it's strong language to call them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And he begins and he just says, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, a prisoner of Christ. So Paul writes as one who, who's in the trenches. It carries away. He says, I'm in prison. Most likely this is when Paul was in prison in Rome because of preaching of Jesus Christ to Jews and Gentiles. Paul was one who tried to stop the message of Christ, but then Christ comes to him and changes him. And he goes with one who preaches so Paul's one who's laid down his life for Christ and for the church, and he writes this to them. So it's not like that of an executive. Maybe you've worked in a business before where an executive makes a decision in their office, and you're down on the work floor, and the decision and that what you look at, and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. They don't have any idea what's going on. But Paul, he's coming from a place of one who's given his life for Christ, in prison for him, and he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have, and what is that calling? What is the calling? Well, most of the first half of Ephesians spoke about this calling. Let's be reminded a little bit. In chapter 1, verse 3, we see we're blessed with every, special, every spiritual blessing. And then 4 through 6 in that chapter, that we, we've been chosen, chosen before the foundations of the world to be holy, to be blameless. We have this predestined adoption as sons and daughters of the King to the praise of his glory. And then verse 7 in the first chapter, we've been redeemed through the blood of Christ. We've been forgiven in him. We've chosen, forgiven this calling. And we've obtained an inheritance in verse 11. Verse 13, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, we're called to hope. And that's that capital H-O-P-E, true hope. We're called to it. And then in chapter 2, that we were dead in sin, but then made alive in him, raised and seated with Christ. In verse 6 of chapter 2. And then 10, we called to good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So we're called to, to walk in 
these things that God has called us and prepared for us. And then we've been reconciled. Verse 16 in chapter 2, reconciled to God and to man. And then chapter 3, the last week, that we had this whole prayer of these things that he's called that we should be pray that we be strengthened in the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit and power in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in us more and more. And then already being rooted in love that we might grow and understand the magnitude of God's love and be filled with the fullness of God. So it just goes on and on. This is our calling. And he says, well, walk in response to this. In response to all of these truths that we are called to, there's a natural response of obedience that should flow out of that as we are changed. And our life should reflect the gospel that we trust in and point other people then to Jesus because of this gospel change that has happened in us and and he speaks here as he speaks, yes, in a sense, he's speaking to individuals, but he's speaking to the body of Christ, to the church, as we, we do this together and walk together. So what does it mean, or what is included in this walking that he talks about? Well, the second part of Ephesians, it, it talks about all of those different things that we're called to walk in, but the most close context we have right here today is, is that where he addresses heart attitudes and that of truth that leads to unity within the church. So we walk in it. Part of our walking worthy of a calling is that unity and how we live our life. And he begins to, to kind of dig into some of those things right away. And that first thing, if you were going to list them out, I don't have them all in my notes, but that first thing would be humility. Humility, this call of humility. And it's really putting on that attitude of Jesus Christ, the one who has died for us. We've studied in Philippians before in a passage that we've read before and you've heard before, but it's always worth reading again. It's Philippians 2, 3 through 8, where it speaks about our attitude and that of Christ. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think of First Peter 5, verse 5, we studied that before already. Clothe yourself with all Close yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then a definition of humility. I found this in some of my old notes, and it was in quotes, so I'm sure it's not me. I don't know who it is, but it's not me, so I'm just saying. Um, Humility, this is good. Humility allows us to serve others without caring whether it is noticed or not. Humility allows us to serve others without caring if it's noticed or not. And you know what? That's actually really hard <laughs> to do. I think of a time where our family in our neighborhood, we, there was a family that um, was, had to, to travel because of a, a family emergency. And, and it was in the fall, and their yard needed raked. And we raked their yard, and they never knew about it. But, man, I wanted them to know about it. <laughs> Sometimes I think, oh, do you remember that one, remember that one fall and there were, all the leaves were gone? But that's not what it's about. But it's hard sometimes. I struggle with that. The humility, being well, the care is with, without caring if anyone ever notices. And just a dying to self. Uh, taking up our cross daily and following Christ, as, as Christ says in, in Luke 
um, 9.23, that death to the self-life. That's what one of my pastors from, from Kentucky would say. And then gentleness, gentleness. Now, gentleness, it's not weakness, um, but it is the opposite of, of harshness or a critical spirit or a cri- critical tongue or intentionally you know, seeking to hurt others, that gentleness that we're called to you. Now, um, some of us, I know, some of us are going to be more relational than others. Um, some of us are probably a little more approachable than others. Some of us are a little bit warmer than others. And, and it's okay, because God's made us different. But even if we're a little more task-oriented, maybe we're a little more straightforward, because sometimes you need to be straightforward, that's okay, but maybe we're not super huggable, um, but that doesn't mean we're allowed to be prickly and harsh. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm not real warm and God's giving me this gift of straightforwardness, but it doesn't mean we can be prickly and harsh. We're called to be gentle. And it comes as we look to Jesus, as we abide in Jesus, the one who is gentle and lowly at heart. Uh, Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle, Gentle and Lowly, he just points out, and I think he's actually quoting someone else, but in the Bible, the only place where it speaks about the heart of Christ is in that verse where Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly at heart. And these are the same words, same root words of this humility and gentleness we have here. So we put on the attitude of Christ. And really, it's very countercultural in our world. One commentator said this, and I, I thought it was spot on. Our Western culture indulges our self-promoting view that being opinionated, aggressive, and ambitious for ourselves and our families is a good thing. But such arrogance is really sin that strangles growth of a church because we end up pulling our church in different directions. So, and I was thinking about that. I was thinking of these values that our society has that of being opinionated, aggressive, ambitious for ourselves and our family in, in an unhealthy way. And I think that it really, it isn't part of the, the Beatitudes, right? When Jesus said, blessed, he didn't say blessed are the opinionated. Blessed are the aggressive. Blessed are the ambitious for themselves and their families. No, he said, blessed are the, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Gentle. And then with patience. Then patience, if you're writing these down. So humility, gentleness, patience. And if we recognize and we understand our, our common calling that Paul has spoken about, that we're those who have received the grace and love of our God, that we all need Jesus, that we all were once dead in sin and made alive in him, we should be then patient with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are also imperfect, just like you. Patient. We should grow in, in, in patience. And we also need to, to pray then. Uh, even as we, we get through this, you might begin to think, okay, this is why Paul prayed in verse 16 and 17 in chapter 3 from last week, that according, according to the riches of his glory, he might grant us to be strengthened with the power through his Holy Spirit in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. We need Jesus, right, to grow in humility and gentleness, and patience. And then, he just won't stop. Paul, come on, that's enough. <laughs> he says, then bear with one another. Showing tolerance, putting up with uh, others' sins. Uh, includes our sins, our ignorances, our warts, all that it is. Putting up with these things. 
tolerating, even, even our different opinions about non-essential things, bearing with one another. One dictionary um, put it this way, have patience with regard to the errors or weakness of another. It's bearing with is that idea of having patience with regard to the errors and weaknesses of anyone. Um, so, just humility. And then Colossians 3.13, Paul speaks about this bearing with one another. And he says, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, man, Paul, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So this bearing with one another um, also ties in with forgiveness and forgiving one another. And if we're, we're not forgiving or, or asking for forgiveness when we sin against another or when we've been sinned against, we're not reflecting the gospel well at all. Um, well it causes disunity. It, um, it's really anti-gospel in a way. And I've heard it said several ways, and I was shifting to, to parenting. I've heard it said in different talks and in different books in similar ways that one of the best ways that a parent can exemplify the gospel and speak about the gospel is to be quick to ask forgiveness when they sin against their kids and then quick to forgive, too. We can, parents, we can hold grudges against our kids as well. Like, man, that was hurtful. And then we hold that against them. We're called to forgive and to do it quickly. And we exemplify the gospel, and that, that comes to play in, in the family of God, in the church, because we, we are a family, to lovingly forgive and ask for forgiveness. And then in love, in love. Uh, this Being so close to Paul's prayer, he's already prayed that we would grow in, in understanding, that we could grasp the magnitude of the love of Christ, and, and now we're called to love, and no doubt we're called to love with that same love that Christ has poured out upon us. This gracious love, forgiving love, just poured out love. Romans 12.10, Paul says this. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's a way that we can show love. We're called to love. When I was thinking of love, I was thinking of a story that some of you have heard me share, but I'm sure others have not. Is that of when we were... We were overseas in East Asia, and we served with one of a family that was really close to us. We knew each other before heading overseas, and, and we, we were a family in a church together. And uh, the other family, the, the husband was our, our team leader, so he was our supervisor. And I remember one Sunday, we'd gather on Sundays to worship together, just the two or three families. Sometimes there was up to four families that would gather on a Sunday morning of, of just of American Western families that would gather. And for whatever reason, I don't even know. It doesn't matter. I was, I was a little frustrated with my friend. I was, what, for whatever reason, I don't know. When your friend and a supervisor, you know, the frustrations, you know, it's just normal. And, and that morning we were there and one of my kids, I don't remember which one, they had a dirty diaper. So I won't point out which kid it was. But one of them had a dirty diaper. We've all had them. It's all okay. And I was going to change, change the diaper. And my friend said, hey, hey, let, hey whoa, whoa, let, let me change. I can do that. I can do that. He was closer. And he, he's just the kind of guy. And he changed my, 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 I don't know, daughter, son's dirty diaper. And um, whatever I was upset about him with, I was like, eh, never mind. <laughs> he just changed my child's dirty diaper because he just showed love. But we need to be willing to, to change that, whatever that proverbial dirty diaper might be <laughs> for one another. And then... 
It continues, eager, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of peace. Uh, unity of, sorry, unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager, making every effort, endeavoring to maintain, to keep, to, to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is a call that we're called to, and it leads to that unity. All, everything that's preceded, these adages of humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, they flow out into to unity with one another. And we pursue these things. I've already read a little bit of this, but let me read again Colossians three twelve through 14 this time. It, we see it, it encompasses all of this. It says, put, then, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another... Forgiving each other. He didn't, uh, that's a good one. Forgiving. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect unity. So we see this peace and love that binds together and forms unity. There's this, this unity of peace. And we're called to walk, again, walk in these things, to maintain these things, to make every effort for them. Another thing, when we were overseas, we would, we would talk about um, that we would keep short accounts with one another. Um, we, that's kind of the idea is that when you, you've upset someone, deal with it. Or if you feel a little bit slighted by someone, or you just feel upset with someone, deal with it. <laughs> keep short accounts and, and humbly do that. I was reminded even there was several years ago, there was someone I was thinking, I was thinking, they might be frustrated or upset with me about something. And, and I just kind of worried about that and... You know, it's causing maybe some disunity in my heart. And then they, they said something that they, they just poured out some really kind words of encouragement upon me. And I thought, oh, I was totally wrong. I misperceived that whole situation altogether. But we need to keep short accounts with one another and pursue one another, main, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace as we pursue humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another all of those things that are played out. And then we see as we continue that there, there are roots to this unity that we're called to, deep down roots in who God is and who we are in Him. So we see the roots of unity in the church, verses 4 through 6. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, did, did you catch that? There's, there's kind of a key word in there. Did anyone catch it? It's one, right? One, one. There's one body. Begins first, it says there's one body. This is the body of Christ, the church. And we've seen that in the beginning of Ephesians where he talks to those Jews and the Gentiles who were separate peoples, but he says, hey, you have been brought in and you are one. Um, The wall of hostility has been torn down. You've been reconciled through the cross of Jesus Christ into one body. That was in chapter 2. And he reminded them that you both had the same messenger, Jesus Christ, and he brought the same message. You have the same salvation. You're one body. You're one people. Next week we'll talk more about that. In a couple weeks, we'll, we'll do that. And then, one spirit. 
the Holy Spirit who has sanctified us. We learn these things in Ephesians, sealed us, empowers us. He's the keeper. He's the guarantee of our inheritance that we have in Christ. We have one spirit and then we have one hope. We have one hope and this is a, a big hope. If you were here last week, I, I talked about how so we have a lot of little hopes sometimes we link on to and how on the, the local sports radio, how with the Broncos getting a new coach, they, when they started that whole search, there was this whole little um, teaser in between segments where it said hope. And it was like, I was like, no, that's a small lowercase h-o-p-e, if you remember. But this is h-o-p-e, hope. This is true hope. I was reminded of hope as well this week as I was listening to a, a sermon by Matt Chandler, a pastor in Texas, and they just started First Peter. And I've been reading, listening to a couple of those sermons, and he was talking about hope. And he, about 13 years ago now, he was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. Um, But it's been 13 years now. The Lord has been a great thing. But he talked about hope. And he said in that time when he was at the beginning of that and going through chemo and and all of the treatment there, he said all the other hopes he had kind of just were washed away. Uh, 401k, even friends that he'd hoped in. And he said even kids, you know, they can be there, but they're not my hope. And he just recognized they all crumbled away, and he found his faith to be true. Even though he, he talks about his weakness and he questioned at time what the Lord was doing, but he found his hope uh, found resting in Christ. But he said it was a moment where he could have fallen deeply into bitterness um, and resentment to the Lord and allow just Satan to speak into those things. But by the grace of God, he found his hope resting in Christ and all of their hopes washed away. We all have one hope in Jesus Christ. Paul even, he prays in Ephesians 1.18 that we've studied. He says, praying that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So just being reminded, we have a hope. And then, and then he continues in that verse, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So we're reminded of hope, we have new life in Jesus Christ, who died for us, who rose again, that we are forgiven, and we have an eternity with him, and hope now. We know that Savior who is gentle and lowly, and cares for us, and calls us to himself. And then one Lord, speaking of that, one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, who fills all and is in all. See that in first chapter of Ephesians. We have one Savior, and one Lord, Jesus Christ. And we do live in a culture in a time that doesn't, that no one, that where our culture rejects the idea that there's anyone Lord over us. But, but there is. And that's actually a good thing. When we're left to ourselves, not so good. Peter in Acts, when he's preaching, preaches and he says this of Christ. He says, this is Acts 4 verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. There's salvation in no one else. There's no name under heaven given among men by which, by which we must be saved. Christ, there's one Lord. And then one faith. This all kind of goes together. One faith. Our faith rests again in Jesus Christ. And a Christianity that rests in anything other than faith in Christ isn't, isn't Christianity. It's something else. And we live in a world that's, that's full of different faiths. Um, uh, there's faith in self, faith in nature, faith in, in other gods, faith in wealth, you name it. There's, there's faiths in different things that we put our faith and our, our hope into. But um, no matter what your faith is, it, faith can be, 
It can be very, very, very sincere, but a sincere faith doesn't equal truth. Um, a sincere faith doesn't equal truth. We can believe something sincerely, but that doesn't make it so. I could believe with all my heart that the moon is made of Gouda cheese, but it just doesn't matter. It doesn't turn it into cheese. There's one faith. It doesn't matter um, how sincere it is. Others will end up being graves and not true hope. And one baptism, the baptism into the the death and the resurrection in Christ. We were once dead, we're now alive, outwardly displayed in water baptism. And then one God and Father of all. And even and we see this, we see the, the triune God, that of God the Son, God the Spirit, and God, God the Father at the end. We have one God and three persons. We're, we are created to worship and serve Him, and yet we often trade those things in. Even this morning I was reading in Psalm Psalm 106, verse 20, that was speaking about Israel and how after they were rescued out of, out of Egypt, that they turned back to false gods. And it just said, they traded the glory of God for an image of an ox that eats grass. Like, what a great, yeah, the adding in of an ox that eats grass. And just, uh, just eating the grass of the dirt, and we're going to worship him. And just saying that we do that, we exchange that which is, is, we exchange the glory of God for that which is is nothing. Um, He's being reminded there is one true faith. So what are, what are some implications, some applications to unity then? Well, I think there's lots of things we could do. We could, every Sunday, we could uh, join hands across the aisle and sing one in the bond of love. I don't know if you've ever done that before. There was a church I went to, we did that, but I can guarantee you that didn't equate unity in the church. It was nice and all. Um, so what are the applications? Well, one, first is the importance of the church, um, the importance of a local body. It's important. If we're going to be united, we can't be lone rangers. How, how, do you, how do you follow this call of being united um, if you're just on your own? No, no, we're called in. We're made for community. We're made for a local congregation, and it is a good thing. It should be. I know we don't always do it well. But if we use these verses as a guide uh, and live them by the grace of Christ, uh, the local body of a church is a beautiful thing. We're called into it, so we can't be, be lone rangers and be uh, able to follow Christ the way he's called us to. So we're called to a local body. So are you involved in a local body? Are you using your gifts or... Are you um, faithful to that community that you've made a commitment to? Some of those things we're called to, to think about. And then also, I think in application to, to this and what our community should look like at Calvary Derby Hill, it should reflect, uh, should reflect our church life should reflect these things. Um, a week ago or so ago, I was meeting with Pastor Adam Gruzy. Some of you guys know Adam because he was here at the beginning Derby Hill, he's in Greeley, pastoring in, in Greeley now, and he said one of the things of their church, they just talk about how um, they want people to be drawn in by, by God's word and then by the love of God's people. What a simple way of saying that. Um, may people be drawn in by God's word and the love of God's people. And then last week as well, I went up to Inglewood to our Calvary family of, of, of churches, our pastors meeting that we meet uh, monthly, and we were just talking about our community, and 
And we should hold tight to gospel doctrines, doctrines of grace, but also we should have a gospel community and a, a, a community of grace. Um, they, they go together, the truths we believe and, and the grace that we see even, even in these things that Paul calls us to. And, and we need to be a people of love, loving God and loving others and loving the lost and being joyful in the strength of the Lord and having humility and, and a faith that rests in our Lord moment by moment. It should, be, it should be played out little by little as we grow in God's word and we grow to love one another and exemplify those things and, and seek to forgive and be humble and gentle and patient and bearing with and, and thinking, oh, another thing I, I think is that I've learned is sometimes we can think the worst of people. Sometimes even we can just kind of get kind of an attitude with people and we just think the worst. And it's not even, I don't know why we do that sometimes. We need to check our hearts when we feel like that's kind of happening in our home or, or in the church body or abroad or wherever it might be where we assume the worst about a situation or a decision or whatever it might be or, or an attitude. or I know we can jump in, into that humility that we can love and care for one another. And then if our unity is rooted in one God, one faith, one hope, one Lord, it should lead to us wanting to make Jesus non-ignorable because there's one hope. And be that type of people. Pastor John Piper, he says it this way. I thought this was really good. In other words, the uniqueness of Christ, the fact that there's only one Christ and only one God and only one faith is the foundation of the mission outside the church and the foundation of unity inside the church. So that was a good way of putting it. It is that foundation of unity inside and then our mission outside as we are those who seek to, to be those who speak about these things and be challenged in them, to be ready wherever the Lord has placed us, the outpost that God has put us in, um, to be able to speak the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for your word that speaks uh, so clearly to us today and speaks into our heart and our situations and our lives. And it just resonates with truth. Uh, Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ who has brought all of us in, none of us more righteous than another, all of us dead in sin and made, made new in Christ, that we can have hearts that are humble, hearts that are gentle, hearts that are patient, hearts that bear with one another in love, seeking unity, that in that unity as we stand on one faith, one hope, one God, that we might be a light of the gospel as well. Lord, convict our hearts, Lord. Help us to know how you would have us respond, how you'd have us commit to one another, how you'd have us um, keep short accounts with one another, how you'd have us lay down whatever it might be uh, that is hindering unity. Lord, may we have humble hearts before you and may you do a great work. And I pray for, for Calvary Derby Hill, this church body, uh, this family here. Lord, I pray that you would help us to indeed be a people that love you and love your word and love the gospel and stand on one faith and one hope. And then our community that just not just believes these things, but lives them out and that we are a community of, of grace and love that people are drawn in by hearing truth and being loved 
and shown compassion, Lord. Help us to grow in these things and even prepare us for what you have for us in the, in the coming year, coming two years, that we can faithfully love and care and serve for one another and be ready to welcome more and more and families that are hurting and families that, that are far from you, that we're able to point them to Jesus in the way that we walk, in the words that we speak, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.